I appreciate the opportunity to give her a uh, little props and shout out, and uh, so we go back a ways. Uh, we're going to dive right into it um, <laughs> in the book of Revelation, of course, and in your notes. So if you have your handouts handy in your book, handy as well, we will get right into some good things today. Um, we call this our certainty conference because we want to be certain that what we have indeed is the truth from God's word. Uh, that's where Proverbs 22 comes in. The certainty of the words of truth, not the hype of the words of truth that are out there. Uh, if you have uh, your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is another great verse for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 8. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. Now, the context of this, of course, is talking about speaking in tongues, which we don't do. But Paul gives this, uh, asks this question, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And so what we want to make sure that we do in things like this is be certain that what we have indeed from God's Word is true and uh, teach it to the very best of our ability and, uh, and stay away from a lot of the hype that is out there with these kind of things that we find in the book of Revelation and other things like that as well. What we want to try to do during this conference is give you a basic general framework to uh, keep you grounded, keep you between the white lines. You have a handout there with a bunch of notes in it. Uh, I'm not going to go through those notes uh, in sequence and order. You might follow a little bit along, but take other notes, if you will, and compare back to that. There's no way in the world that Brian and I can get through everything that we have given to you uh, in the time that we have. We only have nine hours to teach between us. So there isn't any way to get through all of it. That's why we put it together in a book like this, and uh, you can take this home as a resource and continue to uh, study later on as a result of that. Uh, there's all sorts of things going on in this world today with uh, the book of Revelation, the closer we get to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're there on the threshold of it anyway, uh, the more hype that there is, uh, the more uh, incessant attempt that there is to identify the Antichrist. You've seen that. Uh, people going out saying, well, we've got to find out who this Antichrist guy is. I already know who he is, okay? So it's, it's not uh, a big deal. I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow who he is, okay? And so I promise, I will, I'll tell you who he is. Anybody here take my church history course? Okay. Do you know who the Antichrist is? Is there any guess? Is there any hope? If you're looking any place other than the chair of St. Peter's Basilica, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay. We already know who he is. I don't care who he is. Because before he does any of his nonsense, I'm gone anyway. And uh, so there's all sorts of things that have been written over the last uh, couple of generations about this. We've been talking about the fact that Jesus is supposed to come back at any moment now for a long time. guy wrote a book, uh, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Coming Back in 1988, right? Remember that one? That was 30 years ago, okay? I guess there's only 17 reasons he's coming this year, right? <laughs> in the year 2000, how many reasons were there? None, okay? But that was one of the hypes, Y2K, remember that one? Y2K, man, the whole world is going to collapse, the computers are going to go, and we're all going to be without power. And of course, Jesus is coming back in the year 2000 because, well, it didn't happen. Then we have the blood moons from last year, and uh, 
that was September of last year that uh, the alignment of the stars and the blood moons and all that kind of stuff, we actually had a guy on the radio station in Kansas City, uh, I don't know, he's on one of these little local stations, that was saying that Obama was going to pass martial law on September 23rd, and September 25th was going to be the rapture and the date of the second coming of Christ. That was last year. And oh, by the way, you could buy all your prepper supplies from him as well. <laughs> and that did not happen either. And then we had this past, what, a week ago Saturday, when the stars were supposed to align and the vision in heaven of Revelation chapter 12 was going to take place. And, uh, you know, Virgo was going to be there with the nine stars above her head, and then you had the three planets as well, and Jupiter was going to come forth through the womb of Virgo, and because Virgo was giving birth to Jupiter, therefore the rapture was going to happen. <sighs> and that didn't happen either. I had some guy that uh, came up to me and said, man, I just know this is going to happen. This is it. Man, I just know this is going to happen. And so, so I looked at him and I said, I'll tell you what, I got a $100 bill right now says we're still here on September 24th. And he kind of looked at me like, wait a minute, pastors betting? <laughs> gambling? <laughs> it's not gambling when it's a sure thing, guys. <laughs> okay? Because if we're still here on September 24th, I win 100 bucks. And if we're not here, I win more than that. <laughs> so we will get through some of this stuff to the best of our ability. Uh, all of these things are intensifying in the world that we live in, in warp speed. So we want to uh, try to give you a framework of how to handle these kind of things so that the next time they come up. By the way, you just run around and tell people, what is the point... How in the world can you share the gospel with somebody? The rapture's not the gospel, people, okay? We know this is in the Bible. I know Jesus is coming because the Bible tells me so, okay? Uh, and when you run out and start telling people that you need to get right with God because Virgo's going to give birth to Jupiter, you look like... <laughs> <laughs> you might as well wear an orange robe and light your hair on fire and scream through the world. You know, the world is coming to an end. You make no sense whatsoever and you're completely ineffective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to study the Bible for the next three days. And any good Bible study generates more questions than it answers. That's the inexhaustibility of our book. And I hope to be able to answer a bunch of questions for you, Brian as well, and Mark as well. I also hope that you walk away from this with more questions than you came in. Because if that's the case, then we've done a good job. If you have questions, write them down. We may take time for that. We may have uh, opportunity for some Q&A time. We can take brief questions as we come along, but we can't, I can't derail into long discussions of those kind of things because as soon as I say something, then you're going to go, oh, well, what? well, that brings up this idea over here. And we end up chasing rabbits for nine hours rather than dealing with the things that we're going to be doing. That's why your handout is given to you. You have a chart in your first page there that is a replica of what I have behind me here. Uh, that chart uh, we worked on for a good bit of time. I wanted to make that chart uh, simple enough 
so that we could grasp what is there. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other things that we could have added to this, and it would have just uh, conclu- it would have just clouded it and, and added to it, to cluttered it up too much. And at the same time, I wanted to make it comprehensive enough so that no matter what anybody comes up with, you're going to be able to come back to something like this and say, no, no, wait a minute, time out just a minute. Where does that fit in here? Because if it doesn't fit in here, then it's kind of probably going to be a little bit extra biblical. And so this kind of gives you a keep you between the white lines, a filter uh, for all of the stuff that is out there that you're going to run into to keep the heresies away uh, from uh, your study of the end times and the issues of prophecy. Again, some of the uh, major heresies that are running around right now, the main one is the date setting. When Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24 and in Mark chapter 13 that no man knows the day or the hour, we know the times and the seasons, the times and the seasons are upon us. If you can't figure that out, you're asleep at the wheel. But we don't know the day and the hour, and Jesus himself said, no man knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but the Father. So Jesus himself chose not to know the date of his coming. That would be the second coming and or the rapture of the church. And if Jesus himself chose not to know this, who are you to try to figure it out? Really? Now, some people take that verse and they say, well, you, Jesus could not have been God because God knows the date of his coming. Yeah, he know, yeah, that's true. As a man, Jesus chose not to know the date of his coming. As God, he knows. To me, that's proof that he is God. You try not knowing something that you know. <laughs> and the fact that you cannot know something that you know is proof that you're God. We have people running around trying to identify the Antichrist as if they're going to walk right up to him and say, you're the Antichrist, aren't you? Yep, you got me. I got it. I'm secret Santa. Yep, that's right. What are you going to do? Okay. There's fear in that because, well, we have to identify the Antichrist so we can protect ourselves against the Mark of the Beast and all that other kind of stuff. The Mark of the Beast stuff doesn't come into effect until we're gone. We have heresies of the church going through the tribulation period or portions of the tribulation. We have heresies of people fearing taking the mark of the beast. You go to the DMV and they hand you a license plate that has 666 and you go, oh no, take it. It doesn't matter, okay? (laughs) You have the mid-tribulation rapture coming along now. That's the, uh, there's the argument about what does the rapture of the church take place before or after the tribulation period. Does the church go through? When does the rapture take place? And there's some that say, well, it happens before the tribulation, which we do, and it's pre-tribulation. Then there's some that say it happens after the tribulation period, and then there's some that can't figure out uh, uh, the truth, the two, so they're cowards, and they split the difference and say, well, it's got to come in the middle someplace. You have that thing running around. Have, uh, of course, all the preppers that are out there and preparing for the zombie apocalypse and all that other kind of stuff, the fear that it goes there. Uh, you have the improper witness of going out and trying to um, um, disciple the lost by teaching them the deep things of the Bible 
before they know Jesus as their personal Savior. And like I said, it's like running around with your hair on fire and stuff. You have the verses that uh, are applied in the tribulation period that fear losing salvation uh, that are given to us. And all of these kind of heresies that are running around out there, and there's many of them, are, are come from a foundation of not understanding how to rightly divide the word of truth and put together some basic, simple, fundamental concepts of how the book of Revelation is put together and how prophecy is structured dispensationally according to the truth of God's word. And that's what we want to try to accomplish during the nine hours that we have to teach is to lay that out for you so that you can come away with a firm understanding of the, of the, of the, of the post in the ground, the, 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 the concepts that keep you from going off the deep end into that stuff. That's what Jeff had mentioned uh, You've got guys that do that all the time. They're fine for a while, then they find something, uh, and they start wandering off the trail. It's because they don't anchor themselves on some basic stuff. And especially with this topic, especially with this book, you have this incessant desire to know something that somebody else doesn't know. This is inbred in us from the Garden of Eden. Ye shall be as gods. What's the next word? Knowing good and evil, right? You want to know something that somebody else doesn't know. And that, that insatiable desire for that is part of our sin nature. And pastors and teachers are not immune to that. And what happens is somebody wants to dig into something and find something in the Bible that nobody else has ever seen. If you find, if somebody says, hey, I have something from the Bible that nobody else has seen, run, Forrest, run, okay? <laughs> and it gets us off track, and so we want to try to anchor this thing through this particular conference we have. So get off the internet, get into your book. Some of the prophecy gurus that are out there are well-meaning and just a little bit confused. Some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're trying to lead the body of Christ astray into areas that we just don't want to go into. Okay? So, with that little introduction, um, let's get into some of the uh, things that are there in your notes, if you will. Uh, on the first page or so, we have so it's just a couple of basic principles of prophecy I want to lay out first before we actually start getting into the chart and dealing with some of that. Prophecy is God foretelling the events of history in His Word. Prophecy is history that is written in advance, and only God can do such a thing, of course. We know that Revelation 19.10 says that the spirit of uh, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And what the book of Revelation does, as Mark and Jeff has already laid out for us and prepared this, is that it reveals to us Jesus Christ and his return to this earth. And uh, that's the spirit of prophecy. God is the one with the details. Uh, I'm going to lay out the basic structure and then we come along and try to fit the details in, and that's where it gets a little difficult at times and confusing, and you will never master it, so don't try, okay? You get as much of it as you possibly can. Uh, I have plenty of speculative things. I will share some of them with you. 
uh, as we come through this time, and um, it'll be fun to do so. I will tell you when I'm speculating, uh, and whenever I speculate, I always leave myself the trap door uh, that says, hey, this is my opinion on this, and this is what I think this, this might be, but I am subject to error on this, and so uh, leave it at that. Uh, I hope that there's no confusion from the teaching, but there will be some occasional speculation. God tells us in advance what the end is like, but he doesn't give us all the details of that. Uh, he knows us better than that. If God told us what the date of the rapture would be, uh, it would alter and change the way that we live, and that's not right. Okay? If you're not living right today, if you're not living today as if this was the last day you were going to live on planet Earth, uh, you're not living right. Okay? What would you do differently today if you knew Jesus was coming back next month or next in the next six months? Would you continue to make your house payments? Some of you wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why? Why, do make, why make your house payments? if you knew Jesus was coming back in three months. That's not right, see? Well, if I knew Jesus was coming back in three months, then I would tell more people about Jesus. Why aren't you doing it now? Okay? So he doesn't tell us those details, but he does give us the framework. He does give us the structure to keep us between white lines, and that's what the foretelling of the events is. And then prophecy after that becomes us now taking those truths and foretelling them using the structure of the Word of God to do so. The written revelation we have in the Bible is now complete. Uh, we have the book of Revelation. And when you read the book of Revelation, you see the predominance of the number seven in the book of Revelation, knowing that that is God's number. When he counts, he counts to seven, then he starts over. We count to ten and then start over. God starts over at seven. So when you read through Revelation, you find seven of this and this and this and this, and there's seven of everything. That wraps up the fact that there is a completed revelation of God, and we know that now. So it's not a prophet now, it's not somebody who predicts something of the future. A prophet is somebody who takes the written revelation of God that does detail the future and then proclaims it and foretells it at this point in time. So prophecy now is preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Uh, what saith the scripture? There are opinions and there are facts. And we will deal with as many of the facts as we possibly can, throw in some opinions, because again, these events that we're going to be talking about have not yet happened. So there are some uh, areas that you don't really know for sure, and uh, you just kind of do the best you can with them and then, and then leave it at that. And that's why we have so many of the guys come along and say, well, the Lord's got to come back by this particular point in time, then it doesn't happen. We look like idiots when that, when that takes place. So you just got to be careful as you deal with those things. Prophecy, in the next point in your outline, says must give specific literal details with specific literal fulfillment. This is not, this is what I call the Nostradamus effect. You all know who Nostradamus was, right? The guy about 500 or so years ago that wrote about 900 or so four-line stanzas of prophecy-type things, predictions. And they have all sorts of things now that uh, Nostradamus was supposed to have predicted. He was supposed to have predicted that the Twin Towers attack. He was supposed to have predicted the assassinations of JFK and RFK. Uh, Nostradamus predicted Trump defeating Hillary. Yeah, if you smoke enough weed, yes. Okay? 
Um, this, th that's just making up something as it goes along. Prophecy as it reveals, as it's revealed in the, in the Bible, is direct, specific, applicable, exact, precise, literal fulfillments. And since the events, most of this has not yet happened, we are about right here. So all of this has not yet happened. It will happen specifically, literally, directly, but we don't have all those details yet. And because we don't have all those details yet, you have to leave yourself those trap doors and make sure that you don't uh, get into what I call the Nostradamus effect. Here's somebody prophesying something, and it kind of looks kind of close, but it really isn't. And that leads us to our next point, and that is the test of a true prophet is 100% accuracy. If you get one wrong, I don't care if you get all 99 of the others right, you're wrong. Okay? The future events are yet there. My disclaimer, three, the three most beautiful words in the English language. You all know what they are? The three most beautiful words in the English language. We think it's I love you, and it is, okay, but after that, second to that, the three most beautiful words in the English language are I don't know. Okay? So you might ask me some questions, and I will pull out my three most beautiful words in the English language. I don't know. I know some of this, and I'm sure on some of the structure and foundation of this, but I'm not going to put myself out there on the limb and say this for sure is going to happen, and that's why you have the you know, Virgo giving birth to Jupiter because the stars are all aligning wackos that are out there and when it's proven wrong, they got to go run in a hole and hide someplace. And you get the herald campings of the world and other people like that. That's why so many people get messed up on this thing is because they're trying to fill in the details when they don't have those details. They're focused on those things, and when they're focused on them, they, give it, they get it wrong. So you have the structure. We'll fill in as many of the details as we possibly can and then just sit back and watch the structure unfold. And the last point I want to make before we actually get into the chart is this. I want to make sure that what we do in the next three days affects your heart way more than your head. You're going to get a lot of head knowledge in the next few days on this. But um, if any study of prophecy makes you puffed up and knowledgeable and, and, that, and, and you start getting this Genesis chapter 3, ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil mindset, and I know something that somebody else doesn't know. I hope you know things that other people don't know because you know Jesus. <clears throat> but if you start adding to that some of the details and the facts and get your head puffed up with this thing and run around and start talking to your friends and neighbors about what you know, then we're going to be a failure in this particular conference. I want this to affect your heart way more than your head. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4 for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you know the structure of the book of 2 Timothy, um, <coughs> Paul was arrested the second time, brought before Nero, and um, sentenced to death because Nero had uh, set the fire in Rome in 64 A.D., and needed somebody to blame for it, and the best guy to blame was the Christian 
uh, community and of course if you're going to blame the Christian community and then you can arrest the Apostle Paul you have um, you've done something and so he had Paul in prison and he was going to cut his head off and of course he had sentenced him to that Paul knew that probably went to Nero and said you can you do me a favor when you lay me on that guillotine can you put me face up like this so I can watch it come down because I want to be there I want to see it come he's ready to go home to be with his Lord and Savior and he knew his time was coming and he knew that time was short it was not like our uh, society where we sentence somebody on the death row and it's 25 years before it takes place this would have been 25 days or less that he knew and so he had the opportunity to write something here. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow and somebody handed you a piece of paper, who would you write to and what would you say? That's 2 Timothy. Those are powerful words. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Start in, verse seven, start in verse 6 to get the context. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto, also, uh, unto all them also that love his appearing it does not say unto those who figure out the date of his appearing i don't want to preach this too much because i want to teach it but for most people studying the end times they're excited about this because it's an escape hatch for them they want jesus to come back because they're sick and tired of paying mortgage payments. They want Jesus to come back because tomorrow they have to go to work and they hate their job. They want Jesus to come back because they're dealing with physical things that we all deal with, the pains and the aches and the stuff that goes along as, we, as life goes on. And if I could just get out of this mess that I'm in, maybe they have financial problems, or maybe they have marriage problems, maybe they have family problems, they've got all sorts of things that they're dealing with. And boy, if Jesus, man, the rapture, even so come, Lord Jesus, because you can get me out of this mess. And it's an escape hatch for them, and it's me-centered. They, love the, they want the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's, it benefits me yes it does benefit me if jesus comes back today and the rapture of the church happens before we're done it will be awesome we will be home with our lord and savior and no more suffering no more sorrow no more pain the former things are passed away and it will be awesome for us but this verse tells us that the most important thing for us to do is to love his appearing Here's what I want more than anything else from the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to sit back and watch him walk down the streets of Jerusalem and get what he finally deserves. And I want to sit next to somebody and go, hey, psst, I, know, I know him. He's my buddy. He's my friend. He 
He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He died for my sins. And look what he's getting. His name is a cuss word. His people are attacked and, and vilified all over this world. His book is despised. And for 2,000 years, he's sit back in heaven. He's put up with it. And one of these days, he's going to pull a Popeye. That's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. <laughs> and he's going to come back, and he's going to sit down on that throne, and he's going to get what he finally deserves, the praise and the glory of all humanity and all creation. That's what I want more than anything else, to see that. Okay? We want to see him be glorified. And we want to come through this study and get our head wrapped around some of this stuff so we can figure it out. But if it doesn't do something here first, then we have failed in our mission to explain the Word of God to you and see what, what is here. Okay? So, with that... Let's go through it. There, you, you have in your notes there a basic timeline of some of the major events of the end times. We take a dispensational approach to this. And we, we see, when we say dispensational, we talk about uh, the, one of the main verses in the Bible and studying the Word of God. First, uh, uh, or 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study that show thyself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. There are certain um, landmarks and markers and divisions in the Word of God that we hold to, and that's a dispensational view of the Word of God. So we are pre-tribulation for the rapture. There's a division that takes place right here when heaven opens and the Lord comes and takes us home. There's another division over here when heaven opens and the Lord comes back and sets us up, and, and sets up his throne. Uh, the next event on the, on the calendar, of course, is the rapture of the church. Okay, uh, As Jeff said the, uh, yesterday, or Mark said it, I believe, last night, that used to be common knowledge. We all said that. Everybody in fundamental Bible-believing evangelical cir circles knew that the next event prophetically is the rapture of the church. And now that's all been brought into question by all the date-setters that are out there, and they've been proven to be wrong. Well, maybe we were really wrong on this. Maybe something else is not. It has to be uh, uh, on the event, but that's not it. It's being... Uh, brought into question by that. That's our next event. Then as soon as that takes place, there will be a judgment seat of Christ where we will stand before the Lord, give an account of our lives and what we've done with the Word of God before the, uh, uh, as a result of that. You have the first half of the tribulation period, which is peaceful. We will deal with one of the most important things to, to understand because the Bible is fairly silent on the first half of the tribulation period. There's very little in the Bible about that first three and a half years. And you have to understand the nature of it because a lot of the prophecy things will, 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 will basically be couched as this. The rapture of the church takes place and the entire world immediately goes, oh no, I missed the rapture. Now what am I going to do? And the bombs start falling and the famines and the pestilences take place, you know, 30 minutes after the rapture. No, there's a three and a half year period of time where the world is glad that we're gone. The feeling is mutual. And the false kingdom gets put into place. Then halfway through the tribulation period, and it's what I'm going to deal with tomorrow, it's one of the most um, 
misunderstood and difficult passages of the scripture that deals in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with what is called the revealing of the wicked. And that's why that's boxed here like this. And we're going to focus on that tomorrow uh, and deal with that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. There's a whole bunch of events that take place over the space of about three days that pivot the entire tribulation period uh, 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 revolving around this revealing of the wicked individual and that happens and then you have the great tribulation after that the next three and a half years of hell on earth followed by armageddon which is more likely and we'll talk about some of that even today uh, more ap appropriately a warfare a campaign uh, that lasts probably a little over a year culminating in the second coming of christ we think of armageddon as the battle of armageddon jesus comes back and it's a you know 12 minute thing that he just stomped done over um, armageddon is more like a world war three that takes place over an extended period of time that culminates in the what we call the second advent of jesus christ now that's not that word you don't find that directly in the bible that's terminology advent means appearing and the reason I use the terminology of second advent versus second coming is because the second coming actually encompasses the rapture to the time that he comes to this earth. And <coughs> to separate, delineate between what we call the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, I use the term advent to mean appearing or his physical return to this earth. And it's simply a matter of terminology. Right after that, the Lord will judge the nations for how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. We will have our party called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Uh, the oxen and fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Oxen and fatlings, going to be steak. Okay? Nothing better than a good ribeye. And we're going to have a nice ribeye slapped on the table for us at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. After that, a thousand-year period of time when Jesus is the king of this earth called the millennial reign. At the end of that millennial reign, there will be a final rebellion of Satan. He'll be loosed from his prison. Uh, we'll deal with a little bit of that when we get toward the, uh, the third uh, day that we have. And then, as soon as that rebellion is quashed, we have the uh, white throne judgment, which is the final judgment of the lost. Then we go into eternity future where it's all over. Or depending upon your perspective, it's all beginning. Okay? So, <coughs> Revelation is the simplest book in the Bible. And I know that when I say that, people look at me like I have all seven heads of the Antichrist. Revelation is the simplest book in the Bible to outline in its basic structure because it's it, very few books in the Bible, I don't think any of them, give you as clear a definitive in the first chapter outline as the book of Revelation gives you. And yet at the same time, it's the hardest book in the Bible to grasp all the details and fill in all the pieces of the puzzle. And you never will till we get on the other side of it. So, again, in the banner, in the outline, in the notes, I wanted to make this as simple as possible so that dummies like me can wrap my head around it and I can see it and go, okay, I've got the basic thing down, and yet comprehensive enough 
that somebody's not going to come along and say, yeah, well, what about this? Well, what, the what about this fits here, 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 wherever, and you have, it, uh, 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 you have at least a framework to be able to handle this, okay? So in order to lay this out, look at chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 1. There are two verses in Revelation chapter 1 that lay out the structure of how the book itself is outlined and divided. In Revelation 1 verse 10, Sunday morning Jeff stopped off in verse 9 saying that we would start in verse 10 and there we are. Revelation 1 verse 10, when John is called out, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying I'm Alpha and Omega the first and the last what thou seest write in a book send it to the churches okay so here he is raptured out or in the spirit on the Lord's day the Lord's day is not a Sunday the Lord's day is the day of the Lord and throughout your Bible you need to understand terminology and simple words in your Bible the day of the Lord is the second advent of Jesus Christ this one right here when he returns to the earth and so John was transported uh, spiritually to that point in time and began to write about the things that were done during that time it gives us a window into the difficulty of the details that you find in the book of Revelation because you have a first century man who's writing from the perspective of the world that we live in today now that's hard to grasp, but it's not hard to believe. John writes from two different time frames at the same time. It's hard for us to wrap our head around that, but it's not hard to believe. John was about 100 A.D. physically at the time, yet spiritually God gave him the, perspe uh, the, the, the privilege of writing as if he were viewing the events that he sees in the world that we live in today. Let me give you a brief example of that. How many of you ever seen the movie um, End of the Spear? Have you seen the movie End of the Spear? If you haven't, you should. It's a very, very good movie, okay? Talking about the, um, without getting a long thing about it, it's the Jim Elliott and the other guys that went down to the, uh, in the 50s, down in the uh, Amazon basin or somewhere and found some Wardoni tribe way out in the middle of nowhere that had been out there for hundreds of years living in the bush. And they went in to try to uh, take the gospel to them. And it goes through the whole thing. Uh, <coughs> they flew this little puddle jumper type plane in there. And this little puddle jumper plane was yellow. They painted it yellow. And the people that were there, this um, uh, very primitive tribe that was there, they called it the wooden bee. Well, a bee is yellow, right? And this great big wooden bee is coming. What are they doing? They're using terminology that they understand. Wooden bee, this is not a wooden bee. At the end of that movie, they had uh, a clip in there where um, after it was, you know, years and years later, they brought one of the guys to the United States and had him and showed him life here on this earth. And the guy was just blown away by the fact that he said we got in this thing and we drove up to this building and all we did was talk into this box and then we went to a window and they just handed us food it's just like he's trying to describe this to his people back in the jungle in the bush 
He said, we went to this place where they had food, and we put all this food in this little basket and walked up there and handed them a piece of plastic. And they handed the plastic back to us, and we took the food out of the store. It's like, wow! Trying to describe this to the people back home. We know what that is, right? They They gave the plastic back to us. Yeah, the bill's coming in the mail later too, right? <laughs> they didn't follow up with they didn't know that, right? Here's a guy trying to describe to his people back in the jungle what life in the United States was like, okay? Well, when you read the book of Revelation, you have John the Apostle from 100 A.D. trying to describe to you airplanes, automobiles, thermonuclear bombs, those type of things in the context that he's writing in. And so that's why you find some of the difficulty in the book of Revelation with some of the details that are there. So he's in the spirit, he's on the Lord's day, and he writes for a book. Now, in verse 19, it says this, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So it's simple to outline because he gives you, it's in three tenses, right? So in your, in your chart, the things which thou hast seen, past tense, from the perspective of the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is the advent of Christ, which encompasses all of this stuff called the tribulation period, which is the, it's the, the tribulation period and the advent of the Lord is like the culmination of human history, Okay. So then you have the things which are, which is all of this stuff that's taking place as he's writing. Then the things which shall be hereafter is after Jesus Christ comes back. It's pretty simple to outline, isn't it? Now, he gives you two markers in the book as well. And those two markers are the, th- are the verses where heaven opens in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, heaven opened. Mark talked about it last night. A voice says, come up hither. And you have the clearest picture in the Bible of what the rapture of the church is, along with Thessalonians and and Corinthians that Mark talked about last night. So that's Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 where heaven opens. There's a marker, there's a division, there's a line in the sand drawn there. The word church appears, you see it in your notes there, it says 22 times, it's actually 19. That's a typo, I don't know where I picked up 22, but it's 19, Mark uh, mentioned that last night. But... um, (coughs) Um, Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 19 times the word church is mentioned up at that time it disappears until chapter 22 when it shows up again right so that's a picture raptured church is a divide it's a rightly dividing the word of truth marker line in the sand that you can divide this thing out and look at your time frames then you have Revelation 19 11 where heaven opens again this time somebody's on a white horse and they come back there's you two markers. Those two markers divide the book and give you the tenses, the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. And it just na- makes it a nice little outline for you. Okay. Then what you have is church history back here, the things which thou hast seen. If, Paul, if, if John is writing from that perspective as he's looking backward, he's looking over the last 2,000 years of the, of the history of the church. That's a prophetic look from that vantage point, okay? 
Then you have chapters 4 through 19, which is the tribulation period. And all I'm trying to do today is just kind of lay out an outline of the book of Revelation and give that to you so that we can start filling in some of the pieces of the puzzle after this. It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. What's the first thing you do? Look for the border pieces, right? Put the border together, and then you start filling in the, the, the middle details. Well, this jigsaw puzzle is intensely, insanely, impossibly difficult to put together. So you have to have the border first and the pictures there, and then you start putting in some of the details, which you never will in a lifetime, okay? So Revelation chapters 4 through 19 deal with the tribulation period. And the one thing that you want to get beyond anything else is that everything that takes place in Revelation chapter 4 through 19, none of it applies to the church. Nothing that, that is, is, is mentioned in Revelation 4 through 19 has any direct application to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So when you see the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, you don't have to worry about that because it's why. Because the outline is given to you. It's very simple. The outline is given, and it's here in the middle. We're gone right there at the rapture of the church. None of that has to, uh, to, uh, to affect you or worry you, anything like that. People are scared to death about that today, and you don't need to be, okay, because it doesn't, apl uh, doesn't apply. And then you have chapters 20 to 22, which is the millennium, an eternity future, and you have the Bible now in full circle. Revelation chapter 22 matches Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Genesis 1 through 3, you have a man and a woman in a perfect garden paradise with a tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, you have a man and a woman in a perfect garden paradise with a tree of life. The, the Bible becomes full circle at that particular point in time. Okay, Now, in between... The, the, the main part of the book of Revelation is this part from chapter 4 to chapter 19 called Daniel's 70th week or the tribulation period. And here's where you have to have an, a, a basic understanding of how this is put together. Mark mentioned it last night. There are four separate passes through uh, the tribulation period. Uh, Clarence Larkin, I love Clarence Larkin to death. Uh, the greatest book ever written in the history of the human race beside the Bible is Clarence Larkin's Dispensational Truth book. If you don't have one, you need to get saved. Okay? <laughs> now just simple as that. Okay? Get one if you don't have one. It's awesome. There, it's old enough now. It's online. I mean, you can get it public domain now, so you don't have to pay money for it. Just awesome stuff. However, he has the book of Revelation chapters 4 through 19 in sequential order one right after the other, beginning in chapter 4, ending in, in chapter 19 as a, a chronological pass through the tribulation period, halfway through in Revelation chapter 12. As a result of that, he's, he, he's got some things that are not correct. So what God has given us in Revelation chapter 4 through 19 are four separate passes through the tribulation period, and uh, we'll deal with some of that as we get into it, okay? Uh, it's, I, I call this in your notes there the four-color process. If you're familiar with the printing industry, uh, and I know there's a lot of sophistication to it now. I understand there's a 16-color Heidelberg you can buy for millions of dollars and all that kind of stuff. I, 
I, I know that. But basically, simply, uh, if you're going to print something, there's a four-color process for that. And you have to, there, there's blue and red and, and yellow and black. And if you have those four colors, you can print just about anything that there is uh, color-wise, but you have to make them match up. And as you're printing something like that, you'd have various shades. Uh, uh, of if, you, you're, if you're printing green, you need red, you need what? Yellow and blue and yellow, right? Okay. If you're printing orange, you need some yellow and some red, right? And various shades of that, and you have, uh, but you lay them on top of each other. And as you lay them on top of each other, you have the picture comes clear into focus for you. Uh, one of the best ways to illustrate that, and we don't have time to get into it, is if you go to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to the end of them and find the verse that deals with the inscription that is above the cross. And you're going to find four different uh, accounts there. They're going to be co completely different. People say, well, that's a contradiction in the Bible. No, it's not, ding dong. It's not, okay? It is you, when you add them up, one of them says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The next one says, the king of the Jews. The next one says, this is the king of the Jews. And, the, and John says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Well, you add them all up and you look at them from top down and you find that the full inscription of the cross is, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Not all four accounts report everything. Same thing is true in the book of Revelation. It's more difficult to see in Revelation because you only have one book, one author. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have four different books, four different authors, and everybody understands that. You have uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which, which is together. And then you start the whole story over again, and everybody can see that. Well, the same thing happens at the, in, in Revelation chapter 4 through 19, where it starts over again. And in order to start them over and make them match, you have to have, in the printing process, you have to have what are called registration marks. If you have the, um, the actual copy, if you will, of the, uh, of the document that is printed from for a four-color process, whatever it might be, in order to print something like that, it's got some red in it and there's some blue in it and some white, in order to have that thing, you will have on the corners of it Aside from what is actually printed, there'll be a little round thing with the X across it, and that's what it called a registration mark. And in order to line this up so that the picture is not fuzzy, if you didn't line that up correctly, the focus would not be there. And you, those registration marks line up on that printing thing to make sure that as it's running through the press, the blue and the red and the, and the yellow come through exactly where it's supposed to be because if it's not, everything's going to be out of focus. Well, there's registration marks. It's not, when this banner was printed, those registration marks were not all that critical. Why? Because it's just got a white background, and yeah, there's some different color on here, but if this was off by one-sixteenth of an inch, you can't tell it. But if you have red, blue, green, and yellow together, and it's off by a sixteenth of an inch, it's going to get out of focus. So the same thing is true with the book of Revelation. There are, there are two things, actually, um, that you'll find in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19, that, uh, that are registration marks for you. 
And the most clear one is the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now, go back to chapter 6 of Revelation, if you will. Let's go through these very, very quickly here. In chapter 6 of Revelation, and in verse 12, it says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. I'm going to stop there for a second and look at, look at the earthquake. Uh, you'll find in your chart there that uh, there is a quake, six verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. There's a quake at chapter 11, verse 13. And then there is a quake down here at chapter 16 and verse 18. Those, that's the same earthquake. They th those are registration marks. That's a minor registration mark to keep you in line with the separate accounts. There is not an earthquake reported in the personages section, the third section through, because this section deals directly with the, uh, instead of the events, these talk about the events, these talk about the people. These, this, the, the third pass through from chapter 12 to 14 simply gives you the, um, it's like the movie credits at the beginning of the movie where it says the main actors are, okay, cast of characters. We'll deal a little bit more with that in a moment. But there are four places in the book of Revelation where the second advent of Jesus Christ is clearly discussed. And when you find them, you have to register them on top of each other, not line side by side, okay? So chapter 2. 6 verse 12 great earthquake the sun became black verse 13 stars of heaven fell to the earth the heaven uh, 14 heaven departed as a scroll 15 kings of the earth uh, 16 said to the mountains and rocks fall on us hide from the face that sitteth on the throne from the wrath of the, of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand second advent of Jesus Christ chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Second advent of Jesus Christ. You put them on top of each other, not side by side. This is not four different times he's coming. It's one time he's coming, and they, that, that's what the challenge of putting this together was. It's easy to go this way. The difficulty is going this way, top to bottom, because you have to put these things one on top of each other in order to look down on them and see them fit across each other like that and get the full picture. Okay, chapter 14 is the third time you see it. Chapter 14, okay, go down to verse 19. The angel thrust his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, cast in the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden without the city. Blood came out of the winepress, even the horse's bridles, 1,600 furlongs. Second advent, when Jesus comes back and defeats his enemies, stomps them out at the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Battle of Armageddon. Last one is in chapter 19. And this one is a lot clearer, starting in verse 11. You see heaven opened, right? White horse there. Verse 16, he hath on his vesture his thigh and name written King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Uh, notice in verse 15, you have the wine press again, the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Uh, that wine press lines up with chapter 14. You look at it on top of each other, right? Um, but anyway, all the way down through the end of chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 7 of Revelation for a second now. I wanted to, wanted to part of the confusion, if you will, although it's not really that confusing, but part of it comes into this type of wording. You remember last night, Mark talked about, um, in Revelation chapter 4, he focused on the phrase, after this. Remember that? And that was a chronological um, uh, marker. So you've got the first three chapters that are dealing with the church age. After this, so chronologically, then that that follows that whatever event that is talking about takes place in time after the first after the the church age right after this rapture of the church well you have that same terminology in chapter 7 but i want to explain this to you how this how this is just a, a hair different than what you find in chapter 4 chapter 7 verse 1 says and after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now you would see that after this, and you go, oh, okay, well, that's chronologically next. No, it, it works this way, okay? The Bible is not always chronological. You have to understand that. Uh, we think that way. We think A, then once we have exhausted A completely, then and only then may B be presented. And then once B has been completely exhausted, then and only then may C be, be introduced to the story. And we go in order all the way to Z, right? God takes the box of alphabets and dumps them on the table. Says, you sort them out. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Where is it in the canon of Scripture? Right in the middle. The oldest book in the New Testament is the book of James. Where is it in the canon? Toward the end. The first letters that Paul wrote historically were the letters to, Thessalonian, to the Thessalonians. Where are they in the list of Paul's letters? They're at the end. Okay? God does that in the Bible quite often where it's not linear. It is dumped on the table and sometimes you have to sort out the, the, the thing. So when it says in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, after these things I saw, it's not a timeline sequence. It works this way, okay? You start in chapter 4 with the rapture of the church. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a view in the throne of God as to what happens right after the rapture of the church. And chapter 6 begins the pass through the tribulation period, which we will talk about just in a second, okay? And then you go all the way through and you land at the second advent of Jesus Christ at the end of chapter 6. After this, I saw, no, you go this way, okay? You start in chapter 4, and you walk through, and you get to chapter 6, here's the advent of Christ. After this, I saw, chapter 7, all the way through chapter 11, and you register at the second advent of Jesus Christ. After this, I saw chapter 12 through 14, and you drop second advent of Jesus Christ. After this, and you pass through that four separate times through the book of Revelation, 
in order to get all four pictures there so you can put it together. Now, with that, and again, I'm trying to just give you a general outline and picture today. We're not filling any details. We'll start filling in details with Brian's section after this and then the rest of the other five times that we're up, okay? You have the four passes through. They are mentioned, they are listed as seals, trumpets, personages, and vials. And here's basically how they work. And I'm going to show you how we've put the chart together and why it is uh, set up the way that it is. Okay? <coughs> the seals begin to be opened in chapter uh, uh, 4 through 6. Again, chapter 4 through 5 is a vision up in the heavens of what's taking place, but chapter 6 starts the first seal. For example, um, 6 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard it were the noise of thunder, four beasts saying, Come and see, and behold, a white horse. He that sat on him had a bow, but no arrows. Doesn't need any weapons. A crown was given unto him. Not many crowns, but a crown. He went forth conquering and to conquer. That's all that is said of the first seal. And the first seal is the opening of the tribulation period where the white horse rider, who is Satan, comes to deceive the world and take over the world, and that's the first half of the tribulation period, the peaceful time. That's why I mentioned earlier that there's very little in the Bible talked about in this first half of the tribulation period. Most everything that is there is discussed when it talks about the great tribulation and all the wars and the famines and the pestilences and the earthquakes and the bombs. and all, That's all in the second half called the great tribulation period. It just The Bible just jumps over it and doesn't mention a whole lot of detail in it. So as the seals are opened, the first one is that white horse rider, and that's a peace plan, as you see in your notes there, that we may see happen, at least in some form, before the rapture of the church. Brian will spend some time on that, talking about the Daniel 70th week and the peace plan that is organized or structured in Daniel chapter 9, <coughs> where the Pope orchestrates an opportunity for the Jew and Arab to get together in a temple to be rebuilt. We'll get into all that later on. Okay? That is the first half of the tribulation period. It's peaceful. It's prosperous. It is the false kingdom. That's the time frame in which all of this stuff of the mark of the beast really gets implemented. The system is already there. We know that, right? You carry it around with you every day. You have it in your right hand every day of your life. You have access to the entire world. And oh, by the way, they have access to you as well. Okay? Through this little thing that we cannot possibly live without anymore, right? Okay? We can't live without this. Somebody asked me yesterday if I had my phone with me. I said, no, it's back in the room. Huh? Uh, I go to Belize every year for a missions trip, take people from my church. We leave uh, about a month from now. I don't take this with me. I'm gone for 11 days. It's the most glorious 11 days of my life. Okay? <laughs> I purposely don't take this thing with me. But right here, 
the system is already in place. But it's all voluntary right now, isn't it? Okay. Did you read the, uh, not too long ago, um, and this is being very common now, I just, not too long ago, I read a, a story about some company in Wisconsin that's chipping their employees. Okay, right here, putting a little chip in there, and they think it's just the most wonderful, great thing in the whole wide world. Right there, in their right hand, they're putting a chip where they can get access into the building. They don't have to have a key anymore. They're in. They, their paycheck comes through this. They can buy and sell off of this. Isn't that wonderful? No! But that system is in place right now, and it just takes a little flip of the switch, but it's going to take a little while to implement that. And as it gets implemented, that will be the first half of the tribulation period. And then when it gets to the point where, I'm sorry, you cannot buy or sell without this, won't be until after all this midpoint stuff takes place, which we'll deal with as we get into it. But that's the one of the most important things to understand about the tribulation period. This is where get some people gets off track. We've had a, um, a lot of people now who are saying, well, yes, we know the church does not go through the tribulation, but the Bible only uses the word tribulation to talk about this second part. Well, that, so then they're, they're trying to compromise this thing and make a rapture in the middle point, and we have to go through this first half. It gets things out of focus again. Your registration marks need to be precise or else you're going to get things out of focus. And they're missing the, the point that this is still tribulation. The whole thing is the tribulation period. The first half of it is very peaceful, and that's that first seal that is opened up. And you have the division given to you here. See Daniel's 70th week? First half, false kingdom of Antichrist, beginning of sorrows, a falling away, a worldwide deception. The whole world goes after the Antichrist because we're gone. Okay? Then you have the great tribulation, and there's something that happens in the middle of that in order to facilitate that, which we will talk about tomorrow. Okay? Seals 2 through 4 are opened immediately after the midpoint. As soon as all this happens, here comes all the disaster. Okay? And again, I'm just giving you the overview, not going to fill in any details on this. Now you have the famine, the death, the destruction, and the war, and all that kind of stuff that happens. Seal number 5... And the reason why I have it placed and positioned where I have, it says a seal number five, a view at the throne. When the fifth seal is open, you automatically do the same thing you did in chapter four and five, and God takes you up to the throne of God and says, okay, while all this hell on earth is taking place down here, here's what's happening up there. And it's basically a, um, an account of the martyrs during this particular time and as they're coming home having their heads cut off what's happening up there at that particular point in time so a lot of what you find in seal chapter five spans the entire time see seal two three and four open immediately after the rapture or after this midpoint okay and then it just continues on and all that hell on earth takes place but this seal five kind of gives you a picture over the throne, okay? Then seal number six, we saw it in chapter six just a minute ago. That's the, um, the second advent of Christ. I saw the sixth seal open, and here's the great day of the wrath of God and who can stand, okay? And then you have seal number seven, 
Seal number seven is sort of unique. And the reason I have positioned the seal number seven where I have back here, it's unique in this regard. Go back to chapter seven again. Actually, go to chapter eight. Revelation chapter eight. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. I've been asked many times what that is. I have my three favorite words. I don't know. The only thing I can tell is it's dinner time. You ever notice when you place, ladies, you, place, you give your husband his food for dinner? He gets real quiet. Time to shovel. <laughs> okay. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay, so he'd open the seventh seal. There was silence in space about the ha about a half an hour, and then you look down here in verse six. It said the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, and so what you have here, the the reason for this, it's unique in this regard. The purpose of the seventh seal is to open the trumpets, and I think that God did that to show you the connection between these things so that you would see how they overlap each other and fit in the, 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 the four-color process I think you, that, that's unique in that regard. And, and the reason I offset this the way that I did was because I believe that when the seventh seal is open, God takes us all the way back and says, okay, let's go through it again. After this, chapter 7, I saw, okay, Take, let's come back and start over again. Very little, nothing is talked about in the, in the trumpets for the first part of the tribulation period. There's nothing there. Okay. In the vials, nothing there. Why? That time is leapt over and not, not discussed. God just jumps over it. Okay. So it brings us back all the way through to that point. Then we have the trumpets that start to open. That's the second pass through from chapters uh, 7 through 11. And again, nothing in the first half, but now here come those things. You'll find as you read through that section, woe number 1, woe number 2, and woe number 3. Go to chapter, I think it's 11, right? Chapter 11. Yeah, go to chapter 11 and verse 14. Chapter 11, verse 14 says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes, cometh quickly. And you'll find another verse that says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That's three woes. And they're divided or organized, if you will. God organizes them this way. Woe number one is the first four trumpets. And this is, again, the opening of all the disasters on this earth. Just one right after the other in rapid succession fairly much immediately after this midpoint tribulation takes place. And so the trumpets and the seals, the, fir the first the seals number 2, 3, and 4, trumpets 1, 2, 3, and 4, all discuss the same basic time frame, just give you a little bit different perspective of what's taking place. Hell on earth comes down, here comes the ocean oceanic disasters, the maritime disasters, the uh, environmental disasters, the wars and famines and pestilences and all that kind of good stuff. Not good stuff, okay? Trumpet 5 
is unique in this regard because it opens the bottomless pit. I'm going to deal with that tomorrow some more when we get into the revealing of the wicked. But you go to chapter 9 of Revelation. The fifth angel sounded. I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit. Here comes all the hordes of hell out from there. Okay. So the reason why I have registered that back a little bit left of these other trumpets is because I believe it is chronologically before these disasters. Part of this revealing of the wicked is opening that bottomless pit where Judas comes back up, and that's the staging of that false resurrection that we'll deal with tomorrow. And when that, once that happens, then immediately shortly after that is when all the hell on earth takes place. So chronologically, time frame, the fifth trumpet is opened earlier than the first four. Again, you see, this is, I'm trying to just give you the overview today, okay? You see another example of how God takes things and dumps them on the table and says, now you sort them out chronologically in order because I'm not putting them in chronological order for you. So trumpet five is actually predates by a few days the opening of trumpets one through four, okay? Trumpet six is Armageddon. The reason why I have it halfway across the, the, the time frame here is when you go to chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before the God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, there's trumpet number six, loose the four angels bound in the river, great river Euphrates. The four angels were loosed, were prepared for what? Look at the time. An hour, a day, a month, and a year for to slay the third part of men. So that's where I get the concept that Armageddon itself is more like a military campaign that lasts a little over a year, culminating in what we understand as the Battle of Armageddon, which is the advent of Jesus Christ back over here. So I see Armageddon as more of a one-year World War III. Okay? And that's why, again, you've got all the disasters that take place. If you want to put the trumpets in chronological order, trumpet five opens up in the bottomless pit, and here comes Judas and the false resurrection and all that kind of stuff takes place. Then all the disasters take place, and then Armageddon takes place, and then you have the advent, trumpet number seven. And that's why I have it in that particular order. Okay? Then we have what is called the personages. This is sort of unique in this regard. And again, I'm going to get into a lot of detail with this tomorrow. But this is, like I said before, sort of the, um, the cast of characters. Okay? This is, you know, um, Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock and whoever the, the stars of the show are. And you have seven of them. Duh. Okay. I don't want to spend a lot of time with this today because I don't have time, but I will do it tomorrow. You have the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. How many beasts are there? How many beasts are there? Okay, let me ask you this way. How many gods are there? 
One? No, there's three. Yeah. Okay. Right? There's three. In our, okay, now how many gods are there? No, there's one. You don't, you, don't, well, you don't have this figured out? There's only one God. You know that. How many gods are there? There's three, but there's one, but there's three, but there's one. Now, you figure that out. And as soon as you, you can figure it out, then you explain it to everybody. Okay? And I will confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee, and you'll be God. So how many beasts are there? There's only one. The beast is the Antichrist, right? We understand that. There's only one. Then why is he called the beast out of the earth in one place and the beast out of the sea in another place? And why does it say actually in Revelation chapter 13, I saw another beast rise up out of the earth as if it's something different? Is it? You say yes? Is it, is, are they two different beasts? Yes or no? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the three greatest words in the English language, I don't know. Yes, okay? All right. So if you say yes, I say no, you're wrong, it's no. If you say no, I say no, you're wrong, it's yes. I see that as the same beast, only he morphs and there's something that happens. We'll deal with that next week. Or tomorrow, I'm sorry. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> so the beast itself is the Antichrist. He's the main character of the book of Revelation, right? He's the main character of this time called the tribulation period. We'll, and I'll show you some of that tomorrow. Then you have the woman, which is Israel, and not Virgo giving birth to Jupiter, okay? Then you have the man-child, who's Jesus as a human being. Because when you look through all the events that are discussed there, you have the, the you know, the woman gave forth a child, and he, fle he fled, and he was caught up to the throne, and that's talking about Jesus as a man on this earth. The serpent and the dragon is Satan, we know that. The archangel is Michael. The virgins are the remnant, the 144,000, and the lamb itself is the Lord Jesus Christ as God and as the King. So those are your main characters of the story, and that's why it's a little bit different and unique. We will deal with that again tomorrow in some more detail. Then you have the fourth pass-through is the vials. And the fourth pass-through of the vials is positioned over here differently than the trumpets and the seals. And here's the reason why I think that, just in a uh, very quick way. Um, when you look at, go back to, go to chapter 16. Get chapter 8 in one hand, get 16 in the other, okay? Okay, chapter 8, start in verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded, there followed hail, and fire mingled with blood, they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. So one-third of the environment suffers disaster through this particular event. Verse 8, the second angel sounded, were a great mountain burning with fire. The third part of the sea became blood. Verse 9, the third part of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, wormwood comes down, right? And uh, in verse 11 it says, a third part of the waters became wormwood. In other words, what you have here with the trumpets and the seals is one-third disaster. Chapter 16. 
Um, chapter 16, verse 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. The first went poured out his vial on the earth, therefore a noisome and grievous sore upon men that had had the mark of the beast upon them which worshipped his image. Well, yeah, they have it here, right at the, this system of worshiping the beast and having his image gets really into full play as the last three and a half years unfold. Um, it says, uh, look down at verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, it became blood of a dead man, and how many souls died in the sea? Every, not just a third. The third angel poured out his vial on the rivers, the fountains, of waters, and they became blood. Not a third, all of it. And verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. The power was given to him to scorch men with fire. The men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. They repented not to give him glory. Uh, Al Gore is right. Not like he thinks he's right. You go ahead and drive your SUV, that's just fine. Not, not that. But God's going to crank it up. Okay? And you see this just um, intense double down of the disasters and plagues and, uh, and stuff we read about in the tribulation period through the vials and the reason for that, I believe, is because when God pours it out here in this portion, men look at it and go, huh, is that all you got? And they don't repent, and they don't get right, and they keep thumbing their nose in God's face. They keep sticking the middle finger up at him. And God says, you want to play? Ready? Want to play? Okay. Wasn't good enough for you? That judgment wasn't enough? Here we go. And that's why I have the vials over here because I see them as way more intense than the trumpets or the seals. Now, I have positioned vial six backward a little bit because vial six opens Armageddon again. You see the great river Euphrates that is prepared. The way of the kings come across in vial six. That lines up with the Armageddon of chapter 9, and so I have it positioned back. I think that Armageddon, uh, when Armageddon starts the campaign of a year or so uh, of that warfare, that it's after that, as that warfare is taking place, that God says, you didn't want to get right the first time, and here come the vials, and get poured out over and over again, and God doubles down on it, and then we end up with vial seven, which is the hail, the earthquake, and all that other kind of stuff. Okay? So, in sum summarization, because I'm about two minutes over my time right now, unless whatever, but just to sum up this thing, you have a few other things that are, that are on this chart that we're going to talk about as we come through. You've got the three raptures, right? The first fruits, the main harvest, and the gleanings. And you've got to understand that there are three different raptures that take place. And so the easiest way to answer the question when somebody says, when is the rapture? Is it pre-trib or post-trib? Which one are you talking about?
because there's one pre-trib and there's one post-trib. Okay? Everybody looks at it, the rapture. No, there's three of them, and you have that on the chart here. You've got your judgment seat of Christ. You also have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, which we don't have time to get into, but if you've been through that particular study, you know how the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven weave their way in and out of history and the view of the Bible. Okay? You have the means of salvation. This is very important to understand. Brian will spend some time with it. I will spend some time with it as well. The means of salvation changes during these dispensations. That's a difficult thing to wrap your head around because we think salvation is grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ, which it is. No doubt about it. And then when we say that during the tribulation period or during the millennial reign, there's a different means of salvation and we're adding something else into it, people think we're compromising the gospel, and that's not the point. We're not compromising the gospel. The gospel is the grace of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, plus nothing, minus nothing. But when God draws this line in the sand, he dispenses his truth in a different manner. Okay, so we'll deal with that as we come through. But you have the basic chart to the basic flow. That's all I've tried to do today. Notice, by the way, that in eternity future, there is no means of salvation. Did you see that? Why is there no means of salvation in eternity future? No need. <laughs> okay, it's all over. Or all beginning, depending upon your perspective. Okay, so this is a basic structure of the book of Revelation. Once you get this basic structure of the book of Revelation down, then the details start fitting in, and you'll have all sorts of questions that'll pop up as a result of that, but when somebody starts bringing to you all this other, what about the rapture here? What about the works over here? What about Matthew 24, 13? He that endures the end, the same shall be saved. What about halfway through post-pre-rapture or pre-rapture? Uh, or what about you know, setting dates, all this kind of heresy nonsense that runs around out there, you have a framework to operate by. The book of Revelation is simple. It is written in three parts. What thou hast seen, what is, what shall be hereafter, from the vantage point and perspective of the time we live in right now, as John is writing it, from the vantage point of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what you have seen is the church age. What will be hereafter is when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on this earth. In between time, you have this event called the tribulation period, which is a very important part of the Bible. And God gives you four separate passes through them. And you can't lay them side by side because if you lay them side by side, your registration marks are off. You've got to bring those registration marks together Look at them from the top down, and when you look at them from the top down, you can sort through some of the details that are there and get it squared away and put together. All we wanted to try to give you at this particular point in time. Now, it's Brian's job to start filling in some of the details. <laughs> okay? I'm going to take a break right there. How long, we, how long are we going to break? Take about 10 minutes. Take about 10 minutes. Okay.